let me say again this morning how thankful I am to be here. Uh, I'm always appreciative any place that I'm asked to go and preach, but especially this place that Sherry and I call home, it's always good to come back and see our friends and loved ones who are here. And so I, I, uh, I count it a privilege to be here, and uh, I, I, I know that Jake's memory is failing because he proved that in the first service this morning, and then he uh, really exaggerated a little bit just now when he's talking about my preaching. So, Brother Jake, uh, we, God love you. We, we'll forgive you and just move on from there. But uh, I want to speak to you this morning using for a title, Optimum Obedience. Would it be a fair statement to say that uh, the churches in America are struggling right now? Have you been keeping up with that? Uh, churches are closing at a rapid rate. We're losing Southern Baptist churches uh, at, a, at a rate like never before. And we are also losing uh, membership. It follows if you lose churches, you lose membership. And uh, as I said in the first service today, there's a couple of things that I've have researched to try to find out why that's happening uh, in some places and not in others. And uh, uh, preaching has got a lot to do with it. If there's a preacher in the pulpit who's preaching the Word of God and uh, uh, staying with the Word of God, that, that helps a lot. Uh, first service today, I talked about another factor that figures in, and it's called optimum, not optimum, I'm sorry, absolute surrender. And uh, the, these messages are sort of tagged together, but this will be a different message in this service than it was in the first different text and all that, uh, but I want to I make a, a, a statement to begin with that the exactness of conformity is often undervalued by those who do not understand optimum obedience. If you want to put that in a different manner, fully obeying begins with some facts but often arrives at a place where partial obedience is accepted. When God says to do something, God means to do that. He does not give us the option to uh, believe what parts of it that we wish and, and uh, to ignore the other. Uh, I, I, I really believe that in a lot of the churches that I referenced just now, uh, they're at a place where uh, their the total obedience is, is demanded, but uh, for some reason they, they think that the instructions are not clear enough. So they come up with different ways uh, and all of them are, are, are no good. God wants optimum obedience. If he says to do something, he intends for us to do it and do it exactly like he says to do it. Now, I'm going to begin the message by assigning a main text here. It's in John chapter 9, verse 1, and it will show you uh, the place where optimum obedience was demanded in full compliance. 
That's not to say that it's not demanded in other places. It is in almost every place in the Word of God. When God says it, that's exactly what he means. So uh, we're going to begin with this, this passage in John, very first verse of chapter 9. And it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you underline things in your Bible, that's a good place to underline. Notice what he said. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's pretty plain. I don't think we can change that in, in any way. I wouldn't want to, right? All right. In the sixth verse, he says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, Well, he's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed. And I, was, and I received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I know not. They brought in the, to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I do see. Now at the first reading of that passage of scripture, if, if that's all that you were looking at right there, this whole service, here are the important parts. Jesus made clay from spit and covered his eyes. Second, Jesus told him to go wash the clay from his eyes. Third, the man came back able to see. Now all that is true, amen? And it makes perfect sense. That's the way Jesus did things. But there's a lot more to this story. See, numbers one and two will remain the same. Jesus made the clay and he spit, covered his eyes, told him to go wash the clay from his eyes. But the man being able to see required optimum obedience. It really has a lot to do with where he told him to go. What he told him to do when he got there. 
You say, well, that's pretty plain. It was, it's just a pool of siloam. What has that got to do with anything? Well, let's make that our first point. He's told to wash in the pool of siloam. Let me begin this little section like this. Partial obedience is easy to come by. If all he had to do was go get some water and wash, that was easy to come by. We know that if we know the, the manners and customs of the time, we can, we can find that out pretty plainly. We also can find out if we know where these things are located. And first of all, this pool was located outside the city walls. Jesus made the clay inside the temple area. It is three quarters of a mile from where he made the, the clay, put it on his eyes, to the pool of Siloam. Now, along the streets, on the way, if you went straight south, through the city, went through the closest gate, you would pass by a number of streets. One of them is a street called Straight. There are a number of other streets along that path. But here's something that's unique about the Jewish customs of the time. It was not just tradition, it was required to leave water pots along the street. If you had a house of any size at all, there would be a water pot sitting right alongside the street and it was for those travelers who were going back and forth. That man could have walked from here to the parking lot, washed his eyes, and nothing would have happened. Because, you see, Jesus didn't tell him to go find water and wash. He told him specifically, go to the pool of Siloam. Now, there's a spring about halfway. If you go out the, the what's, what's now known as the Eastern Gate, if you went out through the temple that way and you started down the, the path on the outside of the city walls, to get to the pool of Siloam, you would come very quickly to Gihon Spring. It's about halfway between the, the, the point of departure and where he was supposed to go. It would seem that since that pool is in the same stream path, that if you went to that pool, the pool of gold, uh, whatever that thing was, starts with a G and ends with an N, that, that place right there, same water. So if he had stopped there, very same water, all he had to do then was wash his eyes out and he'd see, right? Absolutely not. He would have still been blind. Why? Because that's partial obedience. That's finding something that looks like the right thing, comes from the right source, but it's not exactly what he said to do. It would have been very easy for that blind man to have stopped and washed his eyes at a number of places up and down that path. But God's blessings are always dependent upon optimum obedience, doing exactly what God said. You know, I think we've got a lot of problems in our churches today because we have some folks who are willing to be obedient to a point. But when it gets uncomfortable, 
when it gets to where it's a strain on everything, it, it costs us personally, then we begin to look for other ways that we can comply. But here's the problem. You don't get God's favor by just complying partially. The only way that God gets involved is when he sees that you are willing to obey him fully. You see, only the pool of Siloam would suffice for obedience. None of those bodies of water, not the spring itself, the young spring that went down to those pools, that, that, that water, he could not have stopped any place and done that. He had to go to the pool of Siloam. Now you say, that sounds really, you know, picky. Really picky. So many different options there, and yet he had to go to the exact place. Here's what I want you to see about our society today. We're a society of slip-sliding shortcutters. Did you understand what I said? We have become a people who slip and slide and we, we want a shortcut to everything. We don't want to do it the hard way. We want to do everything the easy way. I hear pastors nowadays telling about how to grow a church and you do it in, in, in this method and that method and so forth. Let me tell you what, there is no exception for the man of God standing in a pulpit and preaching from the word of God and saying exactly what God once said. That, my friend, will continue to grow a church. You know why you have grown the way you have? It is because God has filled this place with people who are inviting people. That's number one. Number two, you've got a pastor here who preaches the word of God. I sneak in and listen to him every once in a while via the, the internet thing. And, and you know what? He's still full of energy. I'll give him that. I worry about him a lot because he, I'm afraid he's going to burn out and, and do it pretty quickly because he really he starts out with everything, the jet's in force, right? He's, he's on his way. But listen to me. What I'm trying to say is this man won't show you a shortcut. He won't slip and slide. That's why the church is being blessed the way it's been blessed. That's the main thing. You're sticking to the main thing, doing it the way God says do it. The world's going to come up with all sorts of things that you can try new stuff. Do it in a different way. Do it in a way when it doesn't really strain you. Churches all over America are not opening up on Sunday night. Do you know why? Because people no longer want to come on Sunday night. But then they say, teach us, teach us. So they put preachers in the pulpit who are really Sunday school teachers on steroids. And they do a wonderful job teaching the Word of God. But here's the Word of God for sure. It is by the preaching of the Word that people are saved. Amen? That's what the Word says, and you can take that to the bank. That's the way that it is. Now, that said, when the Bible tells us that we're to love Him with all of our hearts, it does not say with partial compliance. Loving with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength. He wants us giving everything to him in the way that he says to do it. We've been commanded by our Lord. They're not suggestions. God has given us commands. You say, that's Old Testament. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I give you another commandment. And all of them, by the way, are contained in that one commandment. Love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and so forth and so on. But also, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, I give you a new commandment. This is it. And it contains the law. 
God wants us to obey what the word of God says. Can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. Jace, you're letting down on your job this year, son. I don't see any bell up here. We may need one before this is over. You didn't think I'd remember that, did you? No. Well, I did. As a matter of fact, I looked for it this morning. Couldn't find it. It's going to call you and scold you, but I didn't do it. Listen, second thing I want you to see today is this. The man understood that excuses for less than total obedience could never be accepted. I wonder if he encountered anybody on the way down there and said, where are you going? Well, uh, this man named Jesus put some clay on my eyes and I need to get that out of there. He says, I'll see when I get it out of there. Well, why don't you just wash right here some, some water? You know, it would have been, I, I would think you could expect somebody to be trying to convince him. You don't have to go that far. Have any of you ever faced anybody in this life, this Christian life, trying to convince you? You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to go to that extreme. Listen, if God's telling you in your spirit, if you're hearing him in your heart, if you're reading it in his word, God wants you to do exactly what he says to do. He don't want you to make something up. But, my friend, that's exactly what's happening in so many places. We live in a time when the Bible has been devalued to the point of acceptable exceptions to optimum obedience. That's not good. That's frightening. I want you to look at a couple of exceptions that people come up with. The exception of self-determination. A few verses taken out of context, usually used for this, by the way. It, it creates the argument that only if a person thinks something's wrong is it really wrong. You find that in Romans 14, 5 through 14, you know, it, 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 and you can see where they get it at. But listen, that's, that's a misapplication of, of interpretation right there if I ever saw it. God does not speak to us and say, you know, now, now if you don't think this is wrong, just go ahead and do it. How many of you raised kids? Ever, no one? That might explain some things, amen? Listen to me. Would you, as you raise your kids, say, here's what I want you to do, but if you think it's wrong, you don't have to do it. Huh? See what that gets you. I promise you, you won't like the results. And God would not like it either. If he says to do it, it, it it's not if, if it fits your idea of the right way, go ahead and do it. Listen, people are right believing that they've got a choice but that said never free choice there are costly consequences to all disobedience to God's word you don't get away with it I don't care how hard you try you cannot get away with it there are other people who have the exception of sacred priorities no matter how much you might want to place something or someone ahead of obeying Christ to do so is to disobey Christ he says you can't put anything ahead of him he's got to be number one he's never going to take another place as he relates to you you know I think it was the sin of disobedience that caused the first king of Israel to be deposed 
just it, it, Saul come up with this idea? You know, he probably liked sacrifice more than obedience. Thank you. Find out who wrote, read their Bible. Hey, amen. No, Saul said, no, we'll sacrifice. That's what we're done, Lord. We've sacrificed for you. Look what we've done. But the Lord said through the prophet, no, 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 no. God wants obedience more than sacrifice. You know, there are others who have the exception of sincere intentions. I was going to obey. That's what I had decided to do. Let me make a statement here. Maybe it's be a good thing to remember. The cost of disobedience is not lessened by our sincerity level. Let me say again. The cost of disobedience is not lessened by our sincerity level. I have friends who belong to a church that preaches the gospel concerning salvation. You, you couldn't hardly tell the difference. But somehow they believe that no one that's not a member of their church is going to go to heaven. I believe they're sincere. They really are sincere, but they're obviously wrong. Amen? So God is not going to say, because you were sincere, I'm going to look the other way. He's not going to do that. If he says, do it exactly this way, he expects you to do it exactly that way. If he says, the pool of Siloam, don't stop at Gihon. You cannot do it. You've got to do it his way. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says, when he had called the people to him, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice what it said there. Deny himself and take up his cross. Self will argue with you. I'll tell you what it will. You, you, if you want to get into a good argument, just argue with yourself a little bit. You'll find reasons for and reasons against and all that. And none of it makes any difference. If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is, what did God say? If he said it, obey it. Now, whosoever will is the theme of the New Testament. The gospel is not exclusive of anyone. But, there's always that conjunction there. But, Jesus will be boss whether we like it or not. You know, the man might have protested about the Lord's method that day. I want you to imagine with me for a minute, you're, you're blind from birth, can't see anything, you're getting up along in years a little bit, about Jake's age. You, uh, you hear about a man named Jesus, he's passing by there and somehow or other, he decides that he's going to try to help you to see. And he's been hearing what's been going on. And by the way, it's, it, it's, there's like five or six examples in the New Testament of how Jesus made people who were blind to see. This is the only one where he spit. Hmm? I'll tell you what. I'm amazed that Baptists have not devel devalued everything all down to the point to where they would say, 
you know, it matters whether you're a one-spitter, two-spitter, or three-spitter. I don't know how much spit it took, but he said, I want you to spit in the clay. That's what the father was telling him. Put it in the dust. Put it in his, in his eyes. And then tell him to go wash in a certain place. Jesus did exactly what the father was telling him to do. And this man undoubtedly had heard about the other methods that Jesus used, but none of them involved the clay. If he had been Baptist, I know he wasn't Baptist, because if he had been Baptist, he said, oh, no, we can't do it this way. This has never been tried before. This won't work. You can't do it this way. Friend, let me tell you what. God's got lots of ways we've never heard of, amen? So this man meets Jesus, and he's the boss. He says, do it this way. I thought, how would I react if I were blind and the, and the Lord made some clay, put it on my eyes, and told me to walk three quarters of a mile? Now, I don't know about you all. But I have a hard time walking three quarters of a mile. Let alone not being able to see where I'm going. And he told him to go to a pool where likely he had been many times. Speculation. But likely because that's where people went for healing. I, you know what I think I would have said? I would have said, Lord... I think I understand this, but you don't understand something. I'm, I'm blind. I, I, I'm not equipped to go down there. I can't see. Wouldn't that be a good excuse, did you think, huh? I can't see how to, it's three quarters of a mile. There's a screen bed all the way down that outside and on the inside over here. That's, that's another thing altogether. I'm liable to get knocked in the head on the way. But the Lord said, no, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and you will see. Friend, I'm telling you what, you obey and you will see. You will see what the Lord wants you to see. L listen to a, a few examples here of how the Lord has done it with other methods. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, it says this, then he touched he their eyes. This is a couple of guys now saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus straightly charged them saying, see, no man know it. So here's what he says to this, this pair of fellows. He says, here's a touch. Your eyes are open. Go your way. That's a pretty simple way of healing. Amen. And, and you know what? I like it a lot better than that spit in your eyeball. All right. Matthew chapter 20, verse 32. Another exceptional point here. He says, he stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. All he did was touch their eyes and they could see. Yet here's a man who's being told, I'm touching your eyes, but go wash this clay out of your eyes. Are you, are you following the, the importance of this? I hope that you are. Listen to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And he came to Bethsaida, and they brought him a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. 
And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and every man uh, saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to, to any in the town. Now, did you notice something here? He said, hold still, I'm going to spit in your eye. We're not making clay here, I'm just going to spit in your eye. So why would the man who's told we're going to have some clay in your eye and you're going to be able to see when you're washing the pool of Siloam, why wouldn't he say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, we don't need any clay, you, you just spit. You know, let's go a little further. Mark 10, verse 51. Jesus answered and said unto him, what would you do that I should do to you? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight. Whoa, you talk about an easy deal right there. He says, I just want to see. And he says, go on, you can do it. And he did it. Didn't have to go through all that spitting. Didn't have to do all those things. All he had to do was just go his way. I hope that you're seeing right now that that man really, really, really had to be wanting to obey Christ fully to walk all the way to the pool of Siloam in his blindness and get there and do this never having seen it done before. Never even having heard about it before. Now, by the way, these are all different fellas. And I, ladies, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it seems like only the men were blind. Amen? Just for what it's worth. I just happened to notice that when I was researching for this. Listen. We're not free to decide what commandment we're going to obey and when we're going to obey it. it would, we don't have that freedom. We might have free will. We do have that. But we do not have the freedom to do what we decide we want to do. If you've decided that you want to move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you cannot do that and say you're a Christian. That's disobedience to God. You say, Brother John, you're not going to make any friends that way. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says. If you've decided that you're kind of in love with somebody of the same sex, you, I got news for you, you can't do that and call yourself Christian. Thank you, Miss Sherry. I bring her for that purpose right there. Amen. I'm going to give her the bell, Jason. She'll ring it for you. Amen. She rung my bell a long time ago. Never mind, never mind. That just slipped out of there. All right. 1 Timothy 6, 3. Listen to this in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy and quarreling and slander and evil suspicions and constant disagreement among people 
whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. You know, there's only one true source of truth, the Word of God. That's the only place you're going to find truth. It cannot be changed, modified to fit what you might think it should have said. Instead, God demands optimum obedience. Just as much today as he did when he told the blind man to go wash in that pool. Now before you say he never talks to me, go home and read your Bible. He has spoken to many of you in his word. But that does not mean you have listened. Let me give you a hint of what you might find when you look there. In Luke chapter 10 verse 25, it says this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answering said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, with all of your strength, all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, You have answered right. This do, and you shall live. Now, for those of you who think God is not in the miracle business, I'm already finished. Folks in the first service were not quite so lucky. <laughs> that wasn't a place to laugh. I want to give you an invitation like this today. Is this a good church? Amen, it is. One of the best churches I know anything about right now. Is it doing great work for God? Yes, without a doubt. Could it do better? Yes, without a doubt. How could it do better? By exercising optimum obedience. I'm convinced that God has called some people in this church to do specific things that they have not done. I don't have a doubt. Never been in one yet that that was not true. Sometimes people have been asked to do things by our Lord a long, long time ago, but because you didn't fulfill it then, you think that you don't have to do it now. God's calling is without repentance. Read the Bible. There is no change to it. If he said do it, he means do it. He said, but that was 30 years ago. Do it. You know what? That blind man would have stayed blind for 30 years if he'd have had that sort of mentality. He could have walked around for another 30 years saying, well, God told me to do that, but I just didn't, I, you know, I, since I didn't do it, I've just never gone down there. Listen, that won't get you where you can see. The only thing that will get you where you can see is to obey him fully. Optimum obedience. So church, I'm going to ask you to, if you really are sincere about revival, 
If you really want to see revival, and listen, I really do want to see revival. I'd love to see it. I wish that Ashbury thing would get started right here. Amen? I don't know everything that's going on down there, but I'll tell you this. It would be a whole lot prettier sight to see people crying and on their knees before God, worshiping God with their hands in the air and with the joy of Jesus all over them than it would to be in the average Baptist church this morning. Amen? I would love to see that break loose. What a good place this would be. First thing that they'd have to do in America is say, where in the world is Hamilton County? Amen. Second thing they would say is why? Amen. Then they'd meet Jake and they'd say, how? <laughs> I love you, son. That, wasn't, that last part wasn't true. I was just jerking his chain. No. I... Uh, I want to invite you today to do something. First of all, if you're not sure that if you died right now, this moment, you would go to heaven, I want to invite you to come to Christ today. This world is, is about to end. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. No one else does. But I can tell you this. Everything is stacking up right in line. One of these days and soon, the Lord's going to come for his church. You say, I don't believe that stuff. Well, when the rapture happens, just stand next to me. I'll take you up about 1,000 feet and then ask you if you believe. And if you still don't believe, I'll turn you loose. <laughs> Amen. No, I'm kidding. I, I couldn't do that. wouldn't do that. But you need to know that you know that you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Listen, when the Lord comes, he's not going to give you time to get ready. It says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, just like that, it's going to happen. So if you're not saved today, please get saved. But now, let's say you are saved today and you're sitting there in that pew and you say, was this sermon really for me? I bet, well, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't bet. I'm a Baptist preacher. But I, I got a suspicion that it, it, it fits a lot of people, even in here. You say, how can you know? I've been doing this for a long, long time. I've never seen a lot of difference in Baptist churches. Faces are different. Food's the same no matter where you go. There, I don't know how that happened, Brother Jake, but all Baptist ladies can cook up a storm. Amen? Never been in one where they didn't. But I wonder how many folks are sitting out there this morning that have obeyed to a point and you feel pretty good that you made it this far in your obedience. But what about optimum obedience? Doing exactly what he says. And exactly when he says to do it. That's another case altogether. So during the invitation today, I'm going to invite you. If you're really sincere about revival, let's get that part right. Let's, let's, let's give God a promise today that we will obey him with everything that's in us. All of our mind, soul, body, spirit, strength, everything about us, we will obey God. That will help a long ways from tonight through Wednesday night. To have revival right here at 10 Mile. I mean, real revival. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to have real revival? It really, it really would. I, there was a time here years ago when I preached here that I, I kept talking about revival, revival, revival. And I won't say her name, but there's a lady who could almost spit on me from where I'm standing right now that came to me one night after a service. I'll never forget it. And she said, Brother John, you need to tell us what this is that you're talking about. What, what, we don't understand about revival. What, exactly what are you meaning? Because the church was doing well. It was growing and everything. And that's sort of the situation you're in right now. 
I don't know very many churches, if any, that can outdo you all when it comes to taking what everybody else in America would say, this is the last place on earth God's going to do this. Out here in the country, in a, in a county of 7,000 people, in a, a town of 3,000, the only town, I start to say major town, but it's not really major, doesn't have Walmart yet. But anyway, uh, you know, this, this would be just the last place you'd expect it to happen. But you know what? That makes it the prime place for it to happen. And if I, I really believe if you really get sincere with God and say, God, we're going to obey you with everything that's in us. What you say do, we will do. Whatever we have to do to make it happen, we will do it with your help. That, my friend, is going to be necessary for revival. Now, here's the invitation. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you'd say to me, Brother John, listen, I don't, I don't want anybody coming to me. I don't want anybody messing with me or calling me after the service or anything. But I'm not sure that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. And, and if, if there's anything in my life that I want, it's the assurance to know that heaven would be my home. If that is you, there's no one going to be looking around. No one's going to call you later. You have my word. All I'll do is pray that you'll be able to, to find that out today, hopefully, but maybe before it's too late, you'll find out that you for sure have trusted Christ with all that was necessary to get to heaven. Now, if that is you, I want you right where you're sitting now just to slip up your hand. No one's looking, but you say to me, Brother John, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven if I died. If that is you, would you just slip up your hand so I can see it and then put it right back down? I don't see a hand. So I'm assuming that I preached this morning to a house full of believers. If that's the case and you believe, you have to believe that God demands obedience. So I'm going to ask you to stand just now. Everybody in the place standing, they're going to sing. And the altars are open, they're always open, but you come right now. If you want to make that commitment to our Lord, right now would be the time to come to an altar and make that pledge to God. I'm going to obey you, Lord, with all that is in me. Would you do that just now?